Right now, everybody is really focused on what's going on with Urban Meyer and the Texas coaching search. And I guess there's a Texas football game going on tomorrow. But pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel you can find on any podcasting platform out there. Also, you're listening to the Budos Band bringing us in on this fine podcasting day. Today we're going to be talking about the Camping World Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina, hosted by Bill Walton and his corporate enablers. Hang the banner. Going to go ahead and give you some macro takeaways from that. How and why did Texas win that tournament? What can we actually take away from that tournament? And, oh geez, am I starting to believe in Texas athletics again? Then... Get into Villanova as they come to town. Texas is the number four team in Ken Palm. Villanova, the number three, should be an interesting game. I I honestly just want to meet the like five people who get faked out by your intro to this, where they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna get some good Urban Meyer info," and they're like, "Oh, we're talking about basketball." That's the gimmick gets every week. Although we're, we're trying something different this week. We're trying something different. It's Everybody's always coming to the show expecting some good football, but that's that's why we named the show what we named the show, is to kind of give them a, a head fake. Every 10 minutes right? or so, we just mention Urban Meyer. like, And that's why the front court was Urban Meyer. We, we're going to talk about... But you guys never answered my question. Have you ever been inside a sawing boom? No, not other than when I met your mom. Boom! Jeez, Johnny. Sonic boom! Roasted! Let's get off mom's, Johnny. I just got off yours. Oh! Whoa! Whoa! Oh. I see True that. story. This is a true see? story. True story? You just got off his mom? <laughs> I have I have used that insult on someone whose mom was dead. <laughs> and that person, that person that informed me that his mom was dead... And I was the only person in that situation who was not aware that his mom was dead. That was not my finest. No, that just makes it hurt a little bit more. That's that's when you're like, yeah, no, I know. that is arguably your <laughs> ultimately finest hour. It's definitely, yeah, that right there, right there, man. My therapist doesn't think so. But. Uh, how are y'all's isoprene levels today? Sorry, I'm gonna have to Google that. I'll be, I'll be right back. Tim, how is your pH level looking? It's, well... Have you boys ever been to Austria? (laughs) Have I told you about Camping World? (laughs) Is this the greatest tragedy that's ever befallen this or any civilization? That was historical, that tournament run. Absolutely changing history. Right in front of our eyes, y'all. Right in front of our eyes. Throw it down one time. The musings of Bill Walton. If uh, anybody didn't catch that. I, I, I did not because I muted him the first syllable he uttered each game. See, Johnny, this is where you and I differ. Because the only game I didn't have Bill Walton on was the last one. But for Davidson, and, and especially Indiana, I had him on. In Indiana, he was in prime form. I was shitting on, on Oren last week. But boy, oh boy... Bill Walton, man, you know, I guess that's the difference between alcohol and LSD. <laughs> it's it's the difference between 
let's say, the powers that be saying, maybe rein it in a notch, and the other powers that be being like, no, definitely more of that. That's that's more of what we need. Bill Walton is the guy at the bar sitting next to you who is not watching the game you're watching or watching any game who is talking to his buddies so loudly that you cannot tune him out. And that's basically who he is. Yeah, you're right. It's like listening to a podcast while a game goes on. Yeah, like us doing pretend you're getting to know us in the middle of the second half of a Texas game. That's exactly what it is. It was fun for Indiana, though, because... I, I think I saw it somewhere, but it was best said that he makes a bad game entertaining, but a entertaining game unbearable. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think like it's he's sort of in that Dick Vitale range of like he came by it honestly to begin like his first season or two. It was, you know, with Vitale when he when he first started at ESPN, he was always exuberant he was always like super excited and he kind of got away from himself here and there but he was always talking about the basketball game and then over the seasons he became aware of his bit and leaned into it and i think that's what bill walton is now especially given that he doesn't have like he's doing a zoom call effectively so there's nobody next to him physically to like sort of punch him in the ribs and be like okay five minutes on bruce hornsby is enough Right. Like, so he goes seven minutes on Bruce Hornsby. Like, that's that's the problem with Bill Walton. And I just I just can't like if I had if I didn't care about the game, I I might tolerate it because there are these moments where he goes off into some tangent of gold or whatever. But when it is a team I care about or a game I care about, he's just an unbearable distraction for me. Tim, what are your thoughts? We, We have both sides of the aisle here. Where are you? Oh, I'm 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 pro Bill Walton. You're so, pro Bill Walton. Yeah, no, I I legit dig him. I spent a lot of times like some of my, <laughs> I, I really enjoy watching Pac-12 games at like you know the like the ten o'clock starts or whatever on Friday or Saturday nights during the winter. Like there's a lot of times where I find myself in the evenings on on the weekends just watching Pac-12 games, and he does he does almost all of them, or at least he's he's on one of them pretty much every weekend through the college basketball season. So I've spent a, I've spent a kind of an inordinate amount inordinate amount of time listening to him call games, and it's to the point with me where like, well, first of all, like my empathy radar just pings like fucking crazy with with Bill Walton because you know I always go back to like okay here's this six eleven redheaded guy who stutters you know like that he had to deal with that for the first twenty years of his life or whatever like so like the 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 ultra empath in me is is you know just like you poor bastard. Um, but from another standpoint, like I just, you know, I, I think he's a genuine dude. Like I, I, I would agree that when Johnny talks about Dick Vitale playing into the, into the, that's basketball, baby. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, to me, he's a joke. Like I, I legit have a hard time listening to him. I just think Dick or that, that Bill Walton's like very genuinely him. Like, I think that's actually him. Do I think he's annoying his balls and kind of incoherent and, uh, yeah, all of those things. But, uh, but I, there's something about someone that I think is sort of genuinely himself that I can appreciate. But so I would never begrudge someone for not liking him, but I, he doesn't bother me like, now. Like if it's Washington state versus UCLA or whatever, yep. then fine. Or, or, okay. Yeah. Just let yeah. him roll. Like, I guess that's right. the thing is like, he needs someone just to 
Like, he needs a hand to kind of guide him back here and there, right? Like, if he was 25% less himself, not, not you know, authentically, just 25, like they, they said, okay, your, your, your tangents go four minutes on average, let's make them three. Then he would become significantly more bearable, right? Because it's like, it's one thing to be like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever. But he's just randomly asking the, the play-by-play guy, You've ever been to Austria? Like it's this isn't it's, it he is the he's the guy in airplane. You ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah. <laughs> much. Pretty much. Yeah. I yeah, I get, like, I get it. Like one of those is fine a game, right? Like one of those random whatever sidebars fine. But when it's like the sixth one, it's like, okay, I don't know how many fouls these players have. <laughs> yeah. Like and- I, I I feel like if there there needs to be the, the way they need to approach this with him is ESPN knows who Bill Walton is and they are enabling who he is. So they need to have their graphics department compensate where like for those of us who don't want to deal with the bullshit, we still understand what's going on because they'll put more of the fouls or the rebounds, like the more of like stats on the screen. So I don't have to listen to him to have a sense of what's going on. So I'd assume that our that our audience wants as many Bill Walton takes as we can sh- shove into an hour and a half. So, but no, a few ahead, more here, please. <laughs> do you think ESPN pays him? Here's the thing: is yes. I think they do because yeah. if they didn't, then what's to stop him from going all the way? I was thinking about this, and actually, I think I brought it up to Johnny. Is I don't think Bill Walton is gonna go on air chipping on shrooms or, uh, you know, chipping on acid, right? But it would be amazing if he did. How would we know the difference, frankly? Can you imagine <laughs> an analyst going on air on a hallucinogen, calling a I game? Would, I would prefer that to what I heard in some of, the, like, when, when he was in China for the Alibaba game. Oh, like, my That Lord. was very rough. That was, that was incredibly rough. I would have personally fed him like whatever psilocybin or whatever he wants right at that point. I mean, if Bill Walton's going to go off in tangents like that and be what he is, just, my God, turn it up to 11 and let's just, again, put him on hallucinogens and let him run wild for an entire an entire game. You know what I would sincerely enjoy is them taking their sort of national like the like the football national championship approach to it where there's like there's the channel where it is the play-by-play guy and the color guy like jay billis or something and then they just put bill walton on like espn plus and let him just roll like he could do whatever he wants on that and that's great then everybody gets a chance to listen to it and they have their you know they got their their ability to listen to him do whatever he's going to do even let him have his own play by play guy who understands the deal right like there needs to be a very specific, like if we're going to do this niche broadcast be like have this very specific bill walton does peyote and commentates on basketball <laughs> games channel right like that in that case Knock yourselves out, man. Like, let Bill talk about fish for 48 minutes straight. It's fine. Like, but it, but if I'm actually trying to watch a game, no. Yeah, and on top of all of this, Texas had to deal with TV Ted Valentine. <laughs> and everything, you know, for three games. Three games of Bill Walton, 
three games of TV, Ted Valentine. That's what Texas endured during the Camping World Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina, hosted by Bill Walton and his corporate enablers. Put it on a banner. I want that on a banner. Yeah, I feel like we got a good question answered of, is TV Teddy enabled by crowds? And clearly he does not need them. No. He's going to be TV Teddy. Like when he gave this, the, uh, was it Stan, the Stanford guy Zaire, he gave him a technical for hanging on the rim with zero people in attendance. Yeah, and it wasn't even that egregious. He was just like, uh, you know what, that was too hard of a dunk. We're going to tee you up on that one. Yeah, I don't tend to look too hard into the referee stuff and, and foul calls. It was, yeah. <laughs> if people don't know who we're talking about, because we're this is a football school, I guess we're now a basketball school, but, you know, people don't care enough about how much of a basketball we're school a we are. We're a swimming school. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, with, a, with, a, with a basketball minor. Women's volleyball. We're a Quidditch school. Right, it's true. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, fair. But uh, TV Ted Valentine is on the top of the list for every list that I found on the first five Google searches of worst college basketball referee. Him and Higgins are both up there. TV Teddy and Hollywood Higgins. They're, they're both at or near the top. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into the tournament, though. <laughs> and actually the important stuff, the, the stuff of material. And I, I want to do this in a, in a more macro way, because if we go micro, we're never going to... I mean, we just spent 15 minutes talking about Bill Walton. Let's go ahead and talk about Texas. And I want to start off with this question. Why and how did Texas win this tournament? This, I don't think we were expecting. You know, it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities. Texas was the highest rated team in terms of Ken Palm and advanced statistics. But did you really come into this tournament with the faith in Shaka Smart and this team to win the Maui Invitational against teams like Indiana and Davidson and Stanford or UNC? Teams that are either tournament teams or at least on the bubble. So Texas won this tournament for for two reasons. One more so a little bit than the other, I think, but but both of these two reasons in particular for me. The first is we had the most dynamic and athletic defense in the tournament. I think that you saw a team that was really fast, that played a I, – I was impressed, and I was really impressed with our defensive uh, intelligence. It is kind of a strange defense. Like it, I, I said on our website on Inside Texas that it's almost kind of like a zone principle man because when they switch and, and where they switch, we kind of tend to stay in our in our areas and zones. I just – I was impressed with how we fought through screens. I was impressed defensively with how – the communication was, which uh, you know, someone else on our site talked about how much easier it probably will be to communicate when there's not fifteen thousand or ten thousand fans in the stands. You know, that makes a difference too. The, but the number one reason for me is that I thought Texas had the best, most complete defensive team. But then the other thing is, is I just think we had the best roster. I think if you look up and down the tournament, like this was Texas had the roster most capable of absorbing three games in three days of fighting through some of the adversity of of shitty foul calls, which were true for just about every game that I saw played there. 
and I was guilty of it. Like I thought, like, hey, this this is a this is a nine person roster, and I had Donovan Williams and and Will Baker and that, and the, neither of those guys. I mean, obviously, Will Baker is no longer on the team, and Donovan Williams played something like whatever, like seven minutes total. But apparently, you know, you take a look at this roster top to bottom, and and they were just better. You know, we got more meaningful contributions from our bench players, even from our bottom of the bench guys, than anybody else. You know, and I think you could kind of see some of those issues for North Carolina when they had to get deeper in their rotation. You could see that Indiana just didn't, you know, beyond their top guys, didn't have it. And as the tournament went on, I just thought we were stronger and stronger because we could count on some of those guys. And sometimes it really is just is, hey, are your 8, 9, and 10 guys that much better than someone else's 8, 9, and 10 guys? And if so, a tournament like this makes a difference for that. Yeah, I think when it comes to early season tournaments and games, having a veteran team generally helps. Just it just period. If if you have an older team, there is less learning and synthesis going on than there is with a younger team. I think it is doubly so in this particular year given coronavirus and the lack of secret scrimmages and the abbreviated practice schedules and whatnot. So I I feel like a team like Texas is uniquely suited to to sort of get off the, get out of the blocks quickly. And I think that some of these other teams were not as, they didn't have as many veteran players, especially a team like UNC who's still very young. There's not many teams outside of like Baylor that are as veteran as Texas and that that really helps in a situation like this, especially a team that had as good a defensive run as Texas did towards the end of the season outside of that Oklahoma State game. There's a lot to be said for a team that can play that sort of defense from the jump, and especially a team that has veteran point guard leadership who can help initiate offense from the jump. So... If you're thinking of things to take from this season, one of the things I really think you should take from it, or from from this tournament is that you should take that Texas was sort of predisposed to be successful, especially given that the the, the tournament was had some bubble-ish sort of teams on it and even the ranked teams were not necessarily as as ready at this point in the season. Johnny, you're already skipping ahead here on our list of things to do, which is talk me down from believing in this team. Way ahead of schedule. Bravo. This is much better than you usually do. Uh, you know, you're I'll, you're an overachiever. All right, right I'll, now. I'll just I'll just fuck off for the next half hour or so then. <laughs> all right. Tim. I guess one more thing about about why we were successful to me is Matt Coleman averaged sixteen points, five five point three assists on fifty, forty, eighty, which you know, when whenever you have kind of like some of the, you know, Kai was at what, what like fifteen shots in a row that he made and and fourteen, yeah, it was yeah, it was his fifteenth I think that he missed, yeah. So just fucking bench that guy forever. <laughs> and and Brock had you know was so impactful in the game against Indiana, and you kind of saw some other individual individual games that stuck out for the tournament. But but we've been thinking about, or I've been talking a lot about how it felt like we got one or the other from Matt over his entire career. Like he might have games where he'd score 21 points and then he'd get two assists or he might have games where he'd score eight points and have nine assists or something like that. But it it felt pretty rare that we could, that we could get some of those consistently 
pretty high scoring and pretty high assist games. And for him to average, you know, that over the, that stretch was that that makes a difference. A really, really good point guard play makes a difference. Seems like he's come a long way from the Matt Coleman that missed two free throws against Texas Tech. Three free throws Ugh. against Texas Tech. Sorry. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, which, okay, so if we're going to talk about Matt, I, I've been thinking about this today, which I, I'm channeling my inner Tim Preston in thinking about the podcast well before we actually get on the podcast. Where, at this point, do you rank Matt Coleman in the list of Texas point guards? Because I feel like he's at least at Isaiah Taylor level, if not possibly a shade ahead, like sort of nudging ahead of him. Like if we're going to take, you know, let's let's say the the last 25 years or so, like maybe maybe since the beginning of running horns, then then like TJ's clearly number one. DJ's top three, two or three, however you want to look at it. Behind them, it starts getting... Great and Whiteside, number one. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's clearly a scoring guard, so you're not going to... You're not going to have him as a point. Drayton Whiteside is flexible he's, enough he's to like be... He's like B.J. Tyler mixed with T.J. Ford. Yeah, So right. we'll just... We're going to exclude him because it's not fair to anyone else. True. Okay. Coleman is already like... He's he's at that level with uh, most of a season to go. And I I watched him this this tournament. The name that kept coming to mind was Keenan Evans. And that's the name that kept, that I kept thinking of, of a guy who is a very veteran leader, who is not rattled by any situation, who is playing in whatever way needs needs to be played to advance the team, and also able to hit some clutch shots. And that's sort of, the, the Keenan Evans is the name that kept coming to mind when I watched him. And I mean, that's a guy who took a somewhat flawed tech team to the elite eight so like if if that's where matt coleman is that's i mean that's potential first team all big 12 at least this season and that's that's a pretty high bar i I don't know if he continues that but there's nothing of what he did that felt like a fluke to me yeah his defense still sets him apart for me like man he just he's a really good defender and and i love what you know, I love what he is able to do on the floor, especially with a guy like Brock, who just I'm telling you, man, I Brock Cunningham might be the smartest defender I have seen at Texas since man, maybe ever. Daniel Gibson was a phenomenal defender too. Like people would talk about his three point shooting and just sort of his weirdness in general, but Daniel Gibson was a phenomenal defender. Doge Bell Bay would like to have a word with you. Uh yeah, but like but even then, like Doge Bell Bay was was physically strong and and i would have loved to see the dojo bay who didn't have the injuries that he ended up having like what that guy could have been but you know matt's just matt just is so quick he's very he's very intuitive when he plays defense and to have a guy like brock that can be a you know that can kind of cover up for for mistakes and that allow matt to kind of play quick because how many times did you see matt try to play passing lanes and just miss like what did he i mean Eight ten times he seemed to like slip and fall when he was going for some of those shots, and but I I really do think that that when you think about a BJ Tyler or Roderick Anderson, a, a DJ Augustine, some of those guys that that are probably oh at least a notch above what Matt has been able to do from a production standpoint offensively, 
Matt's still the second best, you know, the second best point guard defender we've had. Now, TJ's the best offensive and defensive point guard that we've had, but I think Matt's probably, you know, number two for me defensively of that group, even though he's probably like five or six offensively of, of, because we've had some damn good point guards over the years. So I don't know if I would say he's better than Doge defensively, but it's at least a good conversation to have. Yeah. Right. Like, and and that says a lot about him that we're having this conversation of, you know, him versus the guy people acknowledge is the lockdown guy on the point. If you have 80% of the defense that Doge Bell Bay has or had and the ability to shoot at all, you're yeah. going to be a really good basketball player. Do- Doge shot a ton inside seven feet or so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, no, it's and, and I think that's part of it is like it may maybe a, a way to look at Coleman this year is he's sort of doge 2.0 in that he has this he he has that defensive ability but he also is able to hit shots on the perimeter took some of the took some of the the attribute points out of defense and put it into shooting well no i'm thinking like i'm thinking more in terms of if you took a guy like doge and he was a 2020 recruit or a 2018 recruit as opposed to a 2010 recruit He's going to get those those sort of shooting drills that he got growing up. And a guy like Doge could probably learn to hit a reliable three, a reasonably reliable three, and, and become that much more deadly. Like it's just sort of an advancement of the game as opposed to an indictment on Doge. So let's go ahead and keep on with, the, with these takeaways of this game. And especially with Matt Coleman and Kai Jones, and we'll get into Kai Jones a little bit more, but we weren't really able to take away too much away from that Rio Grande Valley game in terms of how the this team played in offense, defense, and the rotation. We just got three games in three days of being able to see what this new staff is doing, how Shaka Smart is deploying this depth, and who's out there. A few things that really stood up to me were Kai Jones being that sixth man off the bench, uh, and also being a lot less risk averse. There's a lot of risk taking on just on both offense and defense. And it seems like taking penalties was part of the game plan where sure, take a penalty if you want, because guess what? We have three guys on the bench that can replace you. I think it is one. It is Brock Cunningham, not Brock Purdy, sir. Oh, uh, it's good. Brock Cunningham. Different Sorry. Sport and, uh, as the owner of Brock Cunningham Mountain, I feel like I need to correct you at all times. No, so. of course. I yes, don't know why I said right. Brock Purdy. I'm, it's PTSD. I, I don't, I don't know, point. but your reservation got bumped back three weeks because Fuck. of that. Um, so that said, I, I I don't think that they want to foul with their defense. I think they are going to try and dial it back a little as the season goes on, just because they don't. Like, you don't want to give the other team 30 free throws a game, right? Like, that's just not something you want to do. Having said that, I feel like they are less concerned about fouling than they would have been in previous years because, as you mentioned, they have other guys they can bring out. Like, they they have, if nothing else, Liddell and Ham and a couple other guys, they can be foul sponges and it doesn't matter right because they have so many guys who can be out there at a given time that it's not a mortal wound if the other team gets 25 free throws 
Indiana scored 20 of its 44 points from the free throw line, and it didn't goddamn matter because they shut everything down. It, Trace Jackson was not entirely shut down, but he he had to work his ass off for those 17 points, and the entire rest of the team hit four, four field goals. So, you know, I, I think that... I don't know that they are going to be a super aggressive team defensively. Like they're not going to do a bunch of trapping. They're not going to like be like they're not going for a ton of stuff, but they feel like they have the depth where they can tell guys, okay, if you want to go take those chances, fine. If you're going to go, go for the deflections. If you're going to go for the steals, if you're going to try and hit, get the blocks, if you're going to try and, you know, block out the help the the help side. That's fine. I that's that's not a problem because we have enough guys out here that if you're having an off night, it doesn't matter that much relative to some other years. There's something a little bit freeing about that where if a guy like let's just say you know like Jared Liddell got what was it four fouls in eight minutes against North Carolina and it didn't functionally matter because they just brought somebody else in because they've got. 11 or 12 guys who can contribute at any given point in time. And that they're, they're sort of Swiss army knife in terms of defense at this point. I guess I, I would agree with Johnny that I, I hope that we don't get gimmicky with our defense. I hope we play fast. I really, and I think that we have the, obviously we have the length and the athletes to play fast. Define play fast. Uh, I hope that we really shoot screens as far as like playing really fast, like going, going through screens with our on ball defenders. And I hope that we take some chances with that. I hope that we try to play passing lanes a little bit. I hope that we pick up at three quarter court, not to trap, but like, you know, just like, Hey, I I do think that Bill Walton said it pretty well. I don't remember if it was yesterday or, or, uh, or the North Carolina game, or if it was the Indiana game, but he's like, they're 12 seconds in before they can even start their defense. This is good stuff. And and that that kind of thing I think Texas can can really do because when you have the depth that we have and when you have guys on the perimeter like we do that that can that can really force defenses to have to account for the fact that like you're not going to turn the corner against us a bunch. We should utilize that. Now, from a fouling standpoint, I don't want to rag on Jericho cuz cuz I I really do value his game. I really do. He's just a guy that fouls. He just, he fouls. It's not so much that he fouls. It's kind of the way that he does and where he fouls, like the situations that, that we had those problems with. But that's just, that's just kind of been the way it's been. And I, I don't know that that's going to change this year. But if Kai and Greg in particular are committing these types of fouls at the end of January or particularly like in the middle of February, then we're going to have some problems. Like I'm cool with them committing some of these fouls. Like like Kai is getting minutes that he's never got for us before. Greg is getting new minutes at a at a new level that that he's never played at before. And uh, yeah, you know, Shock is like we want to play violent. We want to play fast. We want to kind of you know really make our mark on the defensive end and and you know use our athleticism. And when players hear that, they think about aggressiveness, right? They think about how okay, all right, well I'm going to get my I'm trying to get my hand on 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 the basketball and try to try to get some deflections or try to get some steals or try to, you know, like really, really attack the ball, even if, even if the opponent has it and we'll, you know, we'll make it work. Well, that's great. But if you don't do it intelligently, then you're going to (laughs) foul. And, and so we saw a lot of that, like, like Kai and Greg, especially in the, I believe, especially in the Indiana game, they played like 20 minutes combined or whatever it was like, like, like 30 minutes combined. If that's happening consistently for sure, but if that's happening 
in a in a month and a half, then we're going to have some different issues, and 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 that's that's when teams like Kansas and Baylor and West Virginia and Tech are just going to eat us alive. But I'm hopeful that we'll see that get cleaned up some over over the period of the next whatever three or four weeks. Well, I'm interested in knowing about the offense as well because we know the defense. What is offense? We, we, what's up? What what is offense? I don't I don't know. Well, yeah, you didn't see much of it, did you? Unless it was the Davidson game, but there were spurts. There were spurts. There was the what twenty four to five run that Texas went on against UNC. There was definite progress that you saw in these games. You, you're definitely seeing a lot more driving to the rim. Now for Courtney Ramey, it might be to the right side doing the exact same thing every single time. Uh, Kai Jones, you saw a lot of interesting things from him and interesting in a good way. Uh, it, it was a lot of different things that you can take and build on throughout the year. But do we know what this offense is and how to best deploy it? Uh, you know, you're not playing Davidson every single game. I think that this team offensively is in a situation where the defense is good enough thus far where the offense can kind of have these fits and spurts and it's okay. I I am very interested in seeing how it progresses or if it progresses for that matter because right now they seem to have a pick and roll idea that is that is very concrete they are trying to get to the rim and if that is not working then some of the point guards or some of the guards are trying to get it to open guys on the perimeter more so Ramey than Coleman maybe a, a bit but it's there are enough guys out there who can do enough different things that I, I still kind of feel like they're tinkering with things. Like I, I watch the emphasis or lack thereof in transition in some games, and I watch the emphasis on the pick and roll as opposed to the pick and pop or as opposed to whether guys fill behind the guard that's that's going to the rim and it just seems like right now they're still kind of turning knobs to see what seems like the best movement going forward it's not terribly complicated what they are trying to do right now they have a, a handful of actions and they have a handful of actions based on those those first actions and, and it the difference between them kind of feels like it's more dependent on who they're playing like what what that defense does as opposed to what they do like i'm not seeing a ton of adjustments in and of itself although i will say that that first possession in the second half against unc was something that maybe they shouldn't try again that there's if the defense is fairly set and not 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 in concrete but they have a very coherent idea of what they want to do defensively and they are able to tweak it efficiently against various different defenses or various different offenses the offensive side is still a bit of clay and i'm interested to see how it progresses against some of these future opponents because it's still it's it's still a little bit up in the air frankly there are 
There are defined ideas of what they are trying to do in terms of they are better at getting to the rim. They're better at drawing contact. They're better at getting fouled and getting free throws out of it than they were last year. There are, but it's not like a sea change as opposed to last year. It's more of a, you know, like it's a dial being being tuned than like just erasing a chalkboard and starting from scratch. Yeah, and you know when push comes to shove, I guess it feels like really only Royce and and Jericho can't kind of like take the ball off the bounce and get to the rim from twenty feet. You know, but I think everyone else on the roster, if you you know, can can Coleman, can Ramey, can Jones, can Kai Jones, I think can Jericho Brown. can from very specific spots. But yeah, yes. that's true. Yeah, yeah, and, and so I think that it's it's nice to see a team that that. You know, to of course, to varying degrees. Like I'd like to see if Kai Jones actually can somewhat consistently do that more. But I know he's he's shown he's capable of it, and and so when you can put pressure on a defense in the way that we can offensively, even when things go poorly, like the Indiana game was not good offensively, but we still still scored sixty six. Like that's pretty good. <laughs> like that's not bad for us. Like we've had some we've had some offensive stinkers that suggest uh, that sixty six would have been awesome on those games. So. I'm still high on on the eventuality of what I think that this offense can be. We got to hit shots, and you, and particularly we we just need you know you can't have what Ramey and and Andrew just just were just just pretty bad <laughs> offensively as far as like just simply their shot making, and so that's that's going to bring a lot of stuff down because when they are when they're more efficient, then then the game opens up and we just you know, defenses have to play us a little bit differently. But uh, but I'm excited about what the individual pieces look like kind of all over the, all over the floor. So I feel like this next question is kind of a the same question in two different ways. But it seems like a lot of Longhorn fans, myself included, are really excited about what this tournament means for this team going forward. We know what it means. We mean it means that hey, Texas might actually be worth the hype this year. But do your expectations for this team change this year after that tournament? They they don't for me, but and I think I was higher on it than Johnny was. And second part of this question, sorry, is talk me down from believing in another Texas athletics team because my God, my heart cannot take it. <laughs> well, and I'll let Johnny do that. You know, he's he's the fun destroyer. But it's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but for me, it, so I I guess you know, look, we were four and zero last year, right? And and included in that 4-0 was a win at Purdue, which I guess technically is probably as good as any win we've had this year. Although I, I, I don't know if that's for sure, for sure, but you could, you could make a case that a true, a true road win in a situation like that is probably just as good as a, you know, a truly neutral win as these no fan situations would be. Like if we had just beaten North Carolina in North Carolina with fans there, then that would be a different situation. But, but I guess I'm not crazy surprised. Here's where I would say this is a good thing. If you had asked me before, if, you know, for our first podcast, hey, we're going to start off 4-0, and that's going to include wins over Davidson, Indiana, and UNC, then I would feel great about it. Because <laughs> four wins are four wins. And we got to get, you know, you can't get to 22 or 23 or whatever. You know, we hope that, the you know, the eventuality or eventually we get to as far as our, our season wins. You can't get there 
unless you start building stuff as early in the season as possible. So, yes, we play Villanova in the non-conference season. Yes, we play Kentucky non-conference. Trying to think of who else the big non-conference opponents otherwise would be. But That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, so we should kind of – we should I, – I don't want to say a sweep is inevitable, but we should – we should, I would think, take care of business from the rest of it. I, I hope that we're at that level. And so, you know, it's cool to see us play well and get those wins from that standpoint. But it's also cool to be like, all right, every game that we don't lose <laughs> gives us a little bit more leeway and gives us a little bit more breathing room for, for games that we may well, you know, you know, do we lose, do we drop a game at home to Oklahoma State again later on the season? If we do, then starting off 4-0 helps us. You know, and so it just just any any win that could have gone either way will will make that difference. And so talking people off the ledge or or being you know just like like trying to to sort of like I don't want to say hedge your bets, but be but be thoughtful about about you know hey can I can I go in all all in on this team? I get the hesitation, I do, but but what I said before rings true to me. I think that we were the best roster there in North Carolina, and I don't think that there's going to be a lot of teams. That when we really go into it, that we're going to say, "Hey, we are we are definitively weaker than them." Baylor, uh, yeah, they looked damn good the other day. <laughs> uh, Gonzaga, yeah, if we ever do end up playing them, but I think that, but for the other three hundred and fifty-six teams in the country, I think that Texas should feel pretty good with whoever they line up against, which is Kansas? a fun thing. I don't think that we have a decidedly worse roster. I'm not saying that that like that we should feel super confident that we'd beat them. But I think that we have the horses to to hang with them. I I I think so, you know. So what happens from night to night? What I mean, as Ron, as Johnny said last time, like we get to play them in Lawrence with no fans in kind of a weird time of the year. You know, does that make a difference? Does that help us? We'll, you know, we'll see. But but I I do think that that I went into this year thinking, well, what about the roster? Are we truly as deep as we think we are? Were those five game? Was that five game stretch where Royce played really well and Brock kind of? turned it on was that just a hoax or are we there well it looks like maybe you know if it's five games that's one thing but now we're at nine games and nine games is a third of a season and you know if you incorporate that that run from last year plus the first four games here and so you know do i think that people should be gung-ho and ready to rock and say yes this is the team and shock is finally here not yet (laughs) four season or four games is not a season make but but uh, you know i i but it should (laughs) i wish it did (laughs) Johnny, do your thing. Talk me down from believing in this team. So do you want the talk you up or talk you down first? Do whatever your heart No, no, no. You, you tell like. me because I'm ready to riff on both. Uh, talk me up and then, and then take me down. Okay, so we're going to do the cocaine and then heroin thing. All right, fair enough. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Just a second now. No, no, we're going, we're going happy first, Tim. So. Oh, god dang it! I'm sorry. I was so excited to find. Okay. That's yeah. Just, 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 just pause that, and we'll, we'll get. To, yeah. <laughs> Maybe hum whatever happy song you were thinking of. Like I just okay. So. Bum, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. We're but just gonna da, da, da. do a, a series. Like this is gonna be Pharrell's happy. Oh, hold up, hold up. Actually, Tim's got something. That's what I was gonna find. I was just gonna go to that for God's sakes. Uh. No, it's we're working on it. Yep, hold on. You're hold listening on. This is to great Pretend Where Football Looks Through Their Spotify Playlist. <laughs> oh, what a time to be alive. Screw with his stats. Okay, yeah. all right, there we go. Okay. 
So, <laughs> okay. So the positive is, if I had given Tim a list of games last year where there were four, uh, where you said, okay, out of Matt, Andrew, Jericho, and Courtney, how, how many guys would have to play well in a win? He's probably going to say three, like two, at least two, if not three. Well, at Davidson, you got good games out of Matt. You got a good game out of Jericho. You got a pretty good game out of, of, of Courtney and Andrew. So that's a win. Indiana, uh, Matt played well. Jericho was sort of up and down. Courtney was very up and down. Andrew had a two out of ten shooting from three game. They won. Uh, against North Carolina, Matt played balls out. Jericho was a bagel. Courtney was really up and down. Andrew was benched for most of the second half. Still won. So you've got a team that has the ability to win games when their top four or five guys don't necessarily all play well. And that's not something that happens in previous seasons. I mean, we've talked about this a number of times over the last few years where it's like, okay, pick the top three guys, top four guys, and you got to have three to four of those guys play well to have a really good shot at winning. Well, this team, as currently constituted, has the ability to win when, like, one of those guys plays well because there are other guys like Cunningham and Kai Jones and uh, and other people, you know, maybe it's Liddell or Royce or whoever is picking up the slack. Like that's a depth that Texas has not had. That then that is a, an undeniable pro. And also you got to consider that with this sort of veteran squad with the, uh, let's call it the, the, the early season bump that a veteran squad has, Greg Brown does not have to play well in any of these games for there to be a win. He has played well here and there, but you've gotten so much out of Kai Jones that he's basically, Kai Jones has basically been what people had hoped Greg Brown would have been, right, at this point. Like, he's basically been, you know, mecha Greg Brown at this point. So Greg Brown can sort of progress at his own pace and be good, and Jace Fabris can spend the entire season on the bench, and there's still decent three-point shooting. So that's good. All of that is good. Every piece of that Mm. speaks to a team that is looking for an upper half of the Big 12 finish, possibly as high as second if things really roll the right way, right? Like, there's no reason for them to think they can't be competitive for a top half finish up up pretty high so that's your positive tim all right yep i'm ready well not ready but i'm almost ready i'm i'm almost ready now i'm ready hang on i got i gotta put the headset on to make sure i hear this all right so the negative on this is that texas hasn't shown a a an ability to beat the hard hedge offensively yet like not even close there's nothing about what they have done that has shown that they know how to attack a team that can play an aggressive defense against them at this point there's 
you know, uh, who's it? Um, I'm trying to think. Was it North North Carolina did it? Indiana did it, and we really, really screwed up their offensive capabilities. And they need to figure out how to fix that, or everybody in the Big Twelve is probably going to do that because they should at this point. It, if you are going to get Courtney Ramey anywhere on the left half of the court, there's no reason not to hard hedge him and and force him to make some decisions. Um, they also haven't been very good at getting the bigs involved. They, they get them here and there. In transition, they get them like on, the, on sort of these, you know, long uh, alley-oops, which are beautiful, and I love them. But how many times have you seen them feed the low post successfully? Not many. Twice, maybe, tops. Uh, they don't really feed them in the high post either. Somebody's going to zone them, and you're going to watch guys like Brock Cunningham flash to the high, flash to the, the free throw line and just hang out because nobody's going to pass it to them. The guards have not shown they're going to feed the post high or low effectively at this point. Um, I, I also have not seen anything about this team that shows they're going to defend a team that hits threes well. Well. Like, none of the teams that they played in the Maui tournament were teams that shot the three very well off the bounce, part of their offense. Like, there's nothing that says, okay, you know, I'm thinking of Baylor specifically, but generally speaking, any team that has multiple three-point shooters, Texas is going to have to defend those guys differently than they did what they did in the Maui tournament. And, you know, UNC doesn't have anybody who really hits the three reliably. Indiana had nobody. Davidson had a guy or two, but, like, it wasn't really that big a deal at the end of the day. So there's some reasons to, to feel negative. Also, I got another one for you. In 2009, I sat in Jerry World and watched... Texas bounce a really good UNC team well on the way to Texas being number one in the country. And you know how that season ended up? Round one loss in the NCAA tournament. So if you wanted to be talked down off the ledge, it's myself, the entire UNC and Texas team watching Jerry's high def big screen over the top, over Cowboy Stadium while UNC got not quite run out of the gym, but not far off. And less than a month later, they were number one. And less than a month after that, they were in the middle of a serious spiral. So maybe don't count any Never put any faith in Texas basketball is what I'm hearing. Well, but I'll jab in my quick quick optimism here. That... That two-game stretch where Texas beat UNC and Michigan State was the highlight for that year. That was the that was kind of the unquestioned, like the the top of the mountain for them. That was their peak. As Johnny, I think, very eloquently said, like even then, like that, like at the when he's talking about about all the things that we didn't have with these wins, Texas has not peaked. I wonder, I wonder if we've played a B minus game yet. Now that would be in, assuming that like that there is an A plus game out there for us to play that we really, we really do have guys that can that can. And it's going to be against Texas State of all teams. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Uh, which would be you know reasonable. Like I guess like uh, the closest that we've been to a complete game, I suppose, is RGV, which certainly has a lot to do with the opponent. But 
what we saw, I, so Johnny thinks of that year when, when Texas in, in 09 and 10, when Texas had that, I'm, I think back to Barnes's last year when Texas goes to, I think it was the Barclays Center. Uh, no, it was, it was Madison Square Garden, I believe. Uh, so they go to the Madison Square Garden and they beat, um, they beat Iowa in the first game and then they beat California in the second game and they win that because then Isaiah Taylor kind of has a weird dunk or whatever and breaks his wrist or hurts his wrist that game. And, and like, but you know, Texas is 4 0 with that too. And we're thinking like, hey, what a, what a great team. But those, those wins seemed like about like, oh, okay, we were at our peak. Like, I don't know how Texas could have gotten a lot better than how they played. Like, I'm not sure that Texas that year in 2009, 2010 could have played a lot better given Rick just not giving Jacobin and, and, and Jordan bigger minutes because those guys never played bigger minutes, you know, consistently those years. Whereas, as Johnny says, just about every single guy, with the exception of Matt, like, I don't think we can. I would be surprised if Matt averages 16 and five throughout the entire season. Like I'd love it, but I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would not be surprised if literally every other single guy on the team can have, well, and Kai, like Kai's not going to shoot 95% or 98% for the entire season, probably. But other than those two, every single guy on the team, you know, not only can we say can do better, we have seen them do better. Like we've seen Andrew be much, much more, efficient we've seen Courtney have have much more consistency in games or at least like not have some of the the stinkers that he had and so I I really do feel like it's (laughs) I really do feel like there's a there's there there's a lot to feel like yeah we've seen we've seen Texas teams just shit the bed or or fall apart and I'm not certain I'm not certain that I think that if this team does have that it's it's not going to be because oh wow well we've already peaked and there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, I think the, it is important to note that there is a theoretical versus actual peak here, right? Like this could be the actual peak of this season, but it is also like simultaneously okay to understand that this Texas team is capable of more. Like if you take the offensive uh, offensive efficiency of Davidson and combine it with the defensive efficiency of Indiana, I don't know who beats that team. So I, I don't know if they ever put those two together at the same time. Maybe they don't, but if they do, they can take out anybody. So let's go ahead and get to the next game. Texas has up on their schedule, Villanova, it is a really, really big game in a series of really big games Texas is going to have this year. They are number three on Ken Pomeroy. They did lose one this year in to a team that they probably should not have lost to, dropping them a few spots down on the AP ranking, but still a very good team coming to Texas. They are a slower-moving team, at, just like Texas, so we're probably going to be seeing a more of a rock fight than you would expect from two of the top-rated teams in the nation. But beyond that, what can I expect out of Villanova, a team that is, what, two years removed from a national championship and still has that coach? How can they hurt me? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I would. I don't think you're going to see a rock fight out of this game it, it just because, if for no other reason, one of the teams decidedly never engages a rock fight like Villanova's offense is always extremely efficient they they will both be slow you're correct in that that like I don't 
I think we can. That's prop- what I guess I mean in a rock fight is just like slow and painful killing me to death with a rock. <laughs> yeah. So like when I think of rock fights, I think of like three years ago, Texas versus Kansas state kind of rock fight, like where everybody is just bludgeoning each other with missed shots. Whereas any like, game with Gabe Munecki. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Like Villanova does not play fast, but it is pretty. It is. It's very beautiful when they get things really going. I, I don't think they are at that level right now. They could be at the end of the season. They're still sort of filling in some missing pieces. But Jay Wright is one of the best coaches in college basketball. I would probably murder an infant of your choice to have him at Texas, which, okay, maybe maybe two infants. I, I don't, Tim seems to be shaking his head. Okay, three infants. All right, there, there we got it. We got him on board. Three infants. I will murder three infants of your choice to get Tim on board with hiring him. Yeah. Um, they will be a great test to what I was talking about earlier with the why. What are we going to do about teams that, get, that can hit a three? There, Texas cannot go under every screen like they did with Indiana because Villanova will make you pay all day long. And so, I'm going to be interested in watching how they defend three. I'm going to be interested in watching uh, how they if they continue to try and focus on offensive rebounding. I think the ship has sailed this season on Texas playing fast in terms of tempo up and down the court. They're not going to run. So, you know, this could be a game where it's like 75 to 70, one team or the other, where where the offenses both produce at a pretty high level. Because I, I think they're very evenly matched in their ways where Texas is a little more defense first, Villanova is a little more offense first, but they're both very efficient on both ends thus far this season. So I, personally, I'm, I'm really interested to watch this game. I'm interested to see how much they can make us scramble defensively. If, if we can play passing lanes intelligently, if we can play ball screens intelligently, um, if we can like, get into some of our, of, you know, our reversals or, or, or checking back to get onto your initial assignments I think we're going to be fine. The more times that they get us, whether it's through offensive rebounds for them or whether they're able to, you know, to take advantage of some of our aggressiveness uh, kind of out of control. Like, look, if we if we foul against Villanova like we did in this in these other games, they're going to smash us from the line like they, they are not going to shoot, you know, you know, 60 percent or whatever from the foul line. They, they will hurt us. And they can, as Johnny said, they can likewise do so from three if we are. If we're not always having an eye on, okay, is this the right time to be aggressive? And that's a that's a fine line, which any any team that's as good as Villanova is gonna make you play. Like how how do you be for certain? Like you it's it's tough to in that snap judgment, like right in the moment, to say, Yep, this is the right time to play that to play that passing lane. This is the right time to, you know, to to, to attempt to get a steal or to attempt to, you know, to 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 make a play happen. But we, we've got to walk that bridge, right? We have to be able to say, yeah, we can we can play aggressively, we can play fast, but we also have to kind of marry that with being with being measured and, and understanding that you know if you if you give them an open look, they're going to make shots. So I think I think how often they're able to get us into scramble situations will be a big difference. If they can get us into scramble situations, what ten to twelve times throughout the throughout the game, uh, it's going to be a tough game to win. They're so efficient, as Johnny says. If we can limit that to four to six times, you know, if we if we can say, hey, we're, you know, you don't have whoever it would be, Gerald Liddell or, or Andrew Jones sprinting out 
and jumping out like like trying to contest and like getting pump faked or whatever and then a wide open three if 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 that's kind of happening every third or fourth possession then we're not going to win but if we can if we can find a way to play within ourselves and intelligently on on defense i think we have the offensive game to hurt then and i and i think as johnny said you already saw the pieces starting to move with greg like he was playing better offensively that last game like some some that's it's starting to kind of come together and obviously the more we can you know either figure out is Kai able to hit those jab step jumpers? Like if he can hit jab step jumpers and like he can be a guy that can like what do you do against a six eleven guy that has that length, that has that kind of explosiveness? If he can put that on film and teams have to kind of start honoring that, then again, then you just add another level to what this team can do. So so Villanova's really good and and they're a worse matchup for us, I think, than than North Carolina was, even though North Carolina's bigs are yeah. super duper good. But but Villanova's it that's that's a it's an intelligent, efficient team and and we are still kind of young in some some important spots and and we'll see if we can if we can play intelligently enough to to make it happen. I think there are two quick things to to keep in mind when you're watching this game. One is that Villanova does not shoot many free throws at all. So if Texas is overly aggressive and gets caught uh, on fouling on threes and that sort of thing it can pretty pretty quickly sway this the wrong way the other is that if you are looking for a difference between villanova and a team like indiana or a team like north carolina is that when texas ran out and contested a three with indiana north carolina what they did is they dribbled inside the arc one dribble and took a long two villanova is probably going to take one dribble to the side and stay outside the three-point line where they will take a three as opposed to a long two. So, And then those are sort of the little things you can kind of watch for in terms of what is Texas going to do defensively in terms of running out past them and how that team will react. And I think when, what you see from Villanova will be sort of what you can see from some of the upper-tier Big 12 teams in terms of how they're going to react to aggressive perimeter defense. So... Three quick fire questions for you guys. Who do you think is going to have a big game in this game for Texas or Villanova? Who cannot have a bad game for Texas, for Texas to win this game? And gun to your head, who wins? Okay, so you said, who do I think will have a big game? Who can't have a bad game? Who wins? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Who do I think will have a big game? I, I think we're going to see more of Kai. I just I I expect his the positive things that we saw at the end of the game against North Carolina to carry over. I think he's a guy that just really feeds off of confidence and has every reason to feel very good about himself. Who can't have a game? Can't have a bad game. Uh, Matt Coleman. Yeah, I just don't think he will. Like I'm not saying that he won't. I I don't think he's going to be transcendent against Villanova. I just I think you kind of get what you get with Matt. Like his shooting might be a little bit down, but he's he's just he's so steady that I'm not sure it's going to be there. I I guess my answer this <laughs> this is a cop at we can't have both Andrew and Courtney play like they have. Like if if they are both inefficient, I just I don't think we that we can absorb that. I guess if I had to choose one of them, I suppose Courtney. I don't think Courtney can be as inefficient as he was against North Carolina. What do I think will happen? I think Texas is gonna pull it out. 
you know, I, I think back to like when some of those some of those really good games when when Villanova had made the Final Four early off in, in Jay Wright's career, kind of like what mid two thousands when they came in, and there were some good games. I expect some stuff like that. I do think that I do think that 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 the progression that Kai and Greg are going to make, and I don't think this is going to be a game where we're going to see them in foul trouble. So if we end up getting in that twenty two to twenty seven minute range for both of those guys, if we can see those kind of minutes for them. And then Brock is able to come in and play with those guys. If we have, you know, if we can, if we can see a lot of minutes from Brock with with Greg and Kai, as opposed to a lot of minutes with with Gerald and, and Royce for Brock, I think that 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 will be enough. So if I'm wrong and the fouls start happening, then then Villanova is certainly plenty good that they might win somewhat handily. But if if we see some of the lower foul numbers for us, uh, I, I think Texas can pull it out. So I think if Caleb Daniels has a good game for Villanova, it's probably a wrap. Um, he has been pretty lethal from three thus far this season. And if he is hitting his shots, then it's going to get really tough for Texas. Uh, who can't have a bad game? Andrew Jones can't have a bad game. If he is two for 10 from three, that's a lot of wasted possessions against an extremely off uh, efficient offensive team. So... I mean, the name of the game here is is efficiency, right? Like Texas length and Texas uh, bigs don't play as big a role in this game as they would in some others, like North Carolina, for example. And having guys like Jericho and Kai and Royce and down low, or it doesn't help as much as it could in some other games. So it's going to be a function of Courtney, Andrew, Matt in terms of their efficiency. And I think Andrew is sort of the biggest X factor here because if he is two for 10 from three, it's going to be a rough day and a hard one to win. If he is five of 10 from three, things get a lot, you know, or five of nine from three, like maybe he picks his spots a little better then things get really interesting. So I think Andrew can't have a bad day and Texas win this game. Uh, gun to my head. I'm going to pick Villanova because I, I, entered this season in a you need to show me posture and as much as i have enjoyed the first four games and as as well as texas has acquitted itself this does thus far villanova is a whole different animal it's villanova would have walked into maui being the favorite to win that tournament and so if you're gonna play against the big boys I need to see it before before I believe that Texas is going to do it. Like Villanova could be a Final Four team. So if you're looking for a you know single game barometer of where Texas could go, as much as North Carolina is a blue blood name, they're probably not getting out of the Sweet 16 at best this year. So you want to really stack up against the big boys. Villanova is one of them. And, and so mm -hmm. I'm going to pick Villanova until I am proven wrong. Yeah. If you want to play with the big boys, you got to beat them. I think that's going to do it for the basketball segment of the show. Now we're going to get to the segment everybody loves, which is pretend you're getting to know us. But what, what nothing about uh, Texas state. Cause you know, Oh, are we not going to do a podcast before Texas state? No. When, well, well, you and I can, Will. We don't. We don't need that it's negative, Nelly. That's that's fair. That's fair. Hey, wait, where are you? Where are you going? What? No. Anyways, 
That's just it's the same same exact voice my girlfriend uses when I decide to sleep in the other room. She's like, no, no, no stop, really. come yeah. back. Yeah. Oh no. Well, anyways, uh, pretend you're getting to know us is the pod is the podcast segment that is revered by all fans of the burnt orange. Getting to know us three chuckle fucks. Let's go ahead <laughs> and get into that. This week's Pretend You're Getting to Know Us, courtesy of Mr. Johnny Brashear, is what movie or scene from a movie scarred you as a child? You watched this movie or you saw this scene in a movie as a child and it destroyed your childhood. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit here and give you two, but I will start with my first one. And my absolute number one is the is the Atreyu and Artax uh, Swamps of Sadness scene from NeverEnding Story. I'm not sure that I, even as a 40-year-old, can truly come to grips with how much that scene really, really just just burned me up. And 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 the 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 excruciating dichotomy of on the one hand adoring that movie and loving that movie like I did like it was truly up there with like Star Wars for me. Oh yeah, so never just, ending story is definitely that movie that you want to watch but you also do not. Ah, uh, it's tough shit. It's not easy. So like I just I loved that movie, but man, the Artax scene just wrecked me just over and over and over. So that's that's for sure my number one, and and you know, <laughs> it would just suck because I always wanted to watch it, like like if it was ever on, or if I knew it was going to be on TV or something, like I I I would watch it, but then you know, I'd also hate myself for watching it, it was so tough. Uh, so that's number one. My number two, or if you'd like the shout out or or my runner up, uh, is a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which uh, I don't know how I saw it, but it must have been like on. We had like HBO. And Showtime when I was a kid, so like my parents were not really big splurgers, but they were they they enjoyed like having that. So take from that what you will, but I, I think it was a movie I saw a couple times. And there was one scene in particular in that movie where there's like this this miniature clown. And they're in a park, and this is clown and and this guy, and they're in the park, and the guy like the clown is kind of like humoring the guy and like being funny, and the guy's like oh, oh, oh and laughing at everything the clown does and then like at one point the clown like turns on he's on this like this laser turret like i don't know how this tiny clown has this laser turret and turns around and the guy's like oh i think this small clown's going to kill me and like you can see the fear in the guy's eyes and the clown they're like, eating this... him yes the they're clown eating has... him and then they're gonna eat me <laughs> and the clown uh the clown kills the guy and is this like oh like i think i maybe would have said the the jackal uh, when uh, Bruce Willis like kills kills Jack Black or whatever with that thing, but I think I was too old at that point. That was that was I was like uh, high school at that point. But but yeah. So so number one is Never Ending Story. Number two is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Johnny, what do you think? So when I was six, my... <laughs> well, this is where it all started. My parents. Decided to try a new babysitter. Um, I, I, it was a neighborhood babysitter. She seemed nice as far as my parents were concerned. And I, I liked her. She seemed like a neat person. I don't recall how her name was Rose McGowan. <laughs> she was, I don't know how old she was. I'm assuming a teenager because that, that back in the day, uh, she decided that she would 
put in a VHS of the movie she decided to rent, which was Poltergeist. <laughs> as a six-year-old. As a six-year-old. I got to watch Poltergeist as a six-year-old. <laughs> the And you can choose your scene from that movie. It really doesn't matter whether it is the... Uh, the the meat that is cutting itself on the kitchen counter or uh, the one that really fucked me up of the skeletons uh, emerging from the pool or the like the, the the hole where they were going to put the pool like there's just a laundry list of things that really fucked me up about that movie and for the next two weeks I, as a six-year-old, had nightmares about Poltergeist, and I woke up screaming every single night, and my parents never used that babysitter again, so (laughs) for those of you who are looking at possible ways of keeping your revenue stream uh, steady and not, you know, up and down based upon the weather or whatever, maybe don't show six-year-olds R-rated horror movies uh that's probably your best bet so yes that was that was mine i've never seen poltergeist you should watch it neither have i you y'all should watch it now during broad daylight no no with your dog nearby so you can pet it as a stress animal like an emotional support animal i'm definitely i'm definitely the captain america at the end of endgame no i don't think i will (laughs) (laughs) like it was and i i i can i cannot stress this enough for someone who had a tv in the living room as a six-year-old that was a fucked up movie to watch yeah so i don't do horror movies at all like i don't either anymore I hate horror. I don't get why people like horror or movies like Saw. It makes no sense to me. And I have been that way ever since I was a child. Like, if we were doing video games that that fucked you up as a child, then there was one time I was at David Buster's in, I think it was third or second grade, and I walked by and I watched somebody play what at the time was Resident Evil. Watching that scared the living daylights out of me. I can't, I could never do a scary movie. I made my parents turn off James Bond Thunderbolt when they cut the guy's mask underwater. Spoiler alert, I guess, for a <laughs> 40, 50-year-old movie. Because I was like, oh my God, I can't deal with that. But between Poltergeist and Jaws, it's amazing I ever like did anything from the time I was like 6 to 18 frankly my one of my best friends when i was in college was had graduated somewhat recently and like got a good job right away off the rip and loved tvs he had like a 65 inch mitsubishi tv like one of those like the crt like yeah, the CRT, yeah. But, like the, yeah. the back projection one the rear projections and we played resident e- resident evil zero which was the the gamecube like in like pitch black right like the room was like i, I watched him play that like in the dark Oh my god! Yeah, shit your pants! I, like, oh my, it was that was nuts. I had nightmares for a year, and I am not exaggerating. I, I had I nightmares had a, for a year. I had a buddy who, when I was, I don't know, senior year in high school. Yeah, I was thinking it was like after, like right after, right after I graduated, which was when Will was like three. Um, I, 
we we got was it Alien versus Predator on PlayStation or whatever, <laughs> and we were playing that, which was kind of creepy, and but we were playing it like near sundown. And so, like, the whole house got dark as we were playing it, Mm-mm. and we weren't really paying attention. And at a certain point, we just looked at each other and went, I, we, we need to turn on some lights. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to order a pizza or something? Or maybe you stop like, this? Or? Anybody want to, like, turn on a strobe light or maybe a floodlight or three? Like, just maybe, is, do you have a dog in here anywhere? We can Are your like, parents home? Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it in Zelda. Yeah. yeah. So is there a Super Mario game we could play right now? <laughs> I need something happy. Yeah. But yeah, so I can't do horror. And when it comes to the horror stuff like that, like I, I mean, I run a damn podcast on horror, but I can't watch horror movies or play horror games alone. I get my horror fix by reading synopses on Wikipedia or watching somebody else play a horror game, because then I can laugh at them. I'm like a layer removed from it. Yeah. Like the Midsommar Wikipedia page? Oh, Good yeah, no, God. I mean, that's, oh, that's, my Lord. My girlfriend will be watching scary movies with her sister downstairs in our house, and I'll be upstairs researching what's going on in that movie so like I can understand what's going on and what they're reacting to, but I don't have to watch it. <laughs> she absolutely hates it. But, uh... For me, the thing that scared scarred me as a child, and you know, after hearing that, you're like, "What the hell didn't scar you as a child, Will?" <laughs> um, well, Texas uh, football. There were, there were. What's up? Texas football. No, Texas football is great. No, Texas f- football set me up for failure as a childhood. Yeah, that's what I, I'm saying. Like, it did not scar you. That oh was, yeah, that was one of the. Oh, only you're, things I see you're did. saying. I see what you're yeah. saying. But I mean, there are a lot of things like watching, going through movies as a child that I liked thinking about scenes that were just terrible like the Pinocchio one where the kids start turning into donkeys that is freaky or the one where uh, it was where was it it was in uh, the um, James and the Giant Peach do y'all remember that one the rhino coming through the clouds the electric rhino no am I the only Tim you know what I'm talking about it rings a bell. Oh, what? I mean, what was? Th- I, I read the book forever ago, but I don't. I don't it, the think movie, I saw the, the movie. The movie is like stop action, and the rhino scene is like as a child. It's like, oh, it's so happy and wonderful, and then oh my god, this this giant electrical rhino coming at you in the middle of a movie. Uh, another movie like that, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, yeah, that oh, we're so happy. Up. We're so happy. Oh my god, the tunnel scene. Oh my god! Yeah. And I still don't know what it means, but like, and the f- the fat kid going through the tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it was stuff like that. Like it it stuff that caught me off guard because I wouldn't touch a horror movie with like a ten foot pole. Uh, actually, you know what? I did. I did once. It was like sixth grade. I went on a date, and we went and saw Omen or something, and. <laughs> I was Ooh, trying it. to act like a. I was trying to act like I was hot shit, but inside I was screaming. Um, <laughs> Event Horizon was one for me. Event Horizon, oh, when yeah, I was that like was high, that that yeah. movie was messed up. <laughs> what was the other Sam Neill horror movie from around that time? Uh, In the Mouth of Madness. I, yeah, yeah, I watched that. Like, that was another one of those. It got dark while I was watching it, and I was like, "Yeah, come on, dog, come in here. <laughs> Just let me pet you." But the one movie. That really did me in. And this is, I don't know, it, it's fifth grade when you're like 11. Is that considered still a child? 
My son is fifth grade, and yes, he did. He just turned eleven. Yep. So, are you still a child? Then would you say? Oh yeah, he's for, he's for a the kid. purposes okay. of this conversation, yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, that's when King Kong came out, two thousand five. That's fucking now. King Kong, you're going in like, oh yeah, hell yeah, giant ape versus T Rex. Fuck yeah, sign me up. That's a great. As a fifth grader, hell yeah. And all of a sudden. Like at the very beginning of the movie, they cut, there's a scene where they fall down this pit, and all of a sudden, like in the background, scurries. Like, oh fuck! And then all these bugs attack these humans, and you're like man-eating slugs eating people head first. You're like, oh my god, what am I watching? I was supposed to watch T-Rex and King Kong fight. What the fuck is going on here? And and to this day, I cannot watch that scene. It came close. I like I saw it the other day on Reddit. The like the one thing is like these pink worm things like eating this guy head first and it I I can't. I just can't. Like that's that movie scarred me to a point where like I can't look at bugs the same way. I'm like, if I was like, tiny, you would fuck me up and I hate you. And that movie was dumb. Like it like it didn't even need to be that stuff. Like it could have been so cool. Like they had all the new technology and Peter Jackson was coming off of the Lord of the Rings stuff. And, like, it, it could have been really cool, but it, they just went campy and kind of stupid. Like, you don't go campy with a movie like that. Oh, no, that was yeah, not campy. That was, like, scary as, as hell. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah. Like, the other stuff was campy, cool. yeah, it, and I'll get sucked. you. But that, that scene was like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I get what you're saying. Ass. But, yeah. Oh, did apparently Johnny's Johnny, gonna, did you watch that scene? Johnny's going to stand for the, for the King Kong movie. No, no, I just... I think it's fucked up that you got scared of a movie that had Jack Black in it. That's all. That is right. Jack Black was in that movie. And Adrian Brody. Yeah, it's true. And Naomi Watts, one of the Naomi Watts, hottest yeah. women in the history of the planet. That's an ice cold take. She's No, that's an ice cold take. She's not that hot. Sir, I'm, <sighs> I'm going to break up a fight here before I kick Fogg's fight over this. Yeah. <laughs> you can love Mulholland Drive all you want. She's not that hot. That's That's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna love Mulholland Drive a lot. <laughs> On that note, y'all, thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour and listening to us ramble on about stuff that doesn't matter. I think we talked what thirty minutes yeah, of good luck making BS. this an hour. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the past hour and a half. I have been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? I am on Substack. The site that no one has ever heard of, and I am there. It's bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. Um, I I have dozens, uh, uh, a few dozen dozens. people. There are dozens yeah, of us. There are dozens of us, yes. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at bitterwhiteguy. I, I pretty much any site other than... I'm sure Bitter White Guy's taken on Parlor right now, and it's not me. But other than that site, I, if, you, if you see... Bitter white guy somewhere, it's probably me. Can we so, get a cameo of you? I don't know that anyone would pay for that. Like, I feel like if I signed up for cameo, I would lose money. Like, what's I cameo? Cameo is like a so you take like the the B C D E list celebrities, and they will, you know, you pay them fifty bucks, and they'll wish your cousin a happy birthday or whatever. <laughs> Like that kind like of you thing. You get a shout out from Mariana Rivera or Rivera. Yeah, yeah like anything, Ozzie anything Smith like or it. something. Yeah, you can yeah. get do that, or you could have like a guy like me. You could pay him three dollars, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll 
attend his Cuss you out. Vir- virtually or something, right? Like it's just, you know, it's all supply and demand, right? Like Mario Lopez is on there making 500 bucks to send out a three, three, three minute happy birthday. Meanwhile, I I'll like be like, Hey, $2.50. I will spend an hour telling you about basketball <laughs> and then no one will take me up on it. But you know, so that's maybe, maybe we set, set me up with a cameo and I just, People ironically buy me to do things, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Tim Preston, where can we find you? Yeah, on Twitter at InsideTexasHoop, no S, and then at InsideTexas.com. A lot of cool stuff going on, on our website here recently, so we'd love to have you come check us out. Tim, give me a, uh, a story about this week, from this week. Boy, from this week. Man, I don't know. Well, it's it's tough when you have little kids and they're there and you're with your you know in the house and my wife and myself and both of my kids we've all been at home this this week and we've been learning virtually and so my wife is a teacher I'm a teacher but I'll tell you the toughest part is is lunchtime you know so we get close and I'm kind of the lunch guy you know dads can be lunch guys sometimes because it's it's easier stuff to cook it's not the tough stuff but. You know, Owen, he loves macaroni and cheese. Like, he's a big craft macaroni and cheese guy. Uh, but he likes it with chicken nuggets. Anna, you know, my seven-year-old, she likes mac and cheese, but she likes it with hot dogs. And so it's kind of tough. Like, am I going to make it with, with hot dogs? Am I going to make it with, with chicken nuggets? And I went out and I made it with both this week. Like, I, I cooked up a couple of hot dogs. I, I boiled them because my grill is not working recently. And I also put in some some chicken nuggets. We had the dino ones, you know, the dinosaur-shaped ones. I put that in the in the oven. Usually when I do the dino ones, here's, here's my key with that. So you do it for at 475 for eight minutes. And then you turn it to broil for seven minutes. And I'll tell you what, 15 minutes of that, eight of it, 475, uh, seven of it broil, those things come out good. I mean, they're pretty good. So you have some of that. We also make, um, I like to make the, the mixed vegetables. It's, you know, the stuff that you can just steam in the bag. That's always very comfortable. Um, you know, Walmart makes a, a great mixed blend. You've got lima beans. You've got carrots. You've got um, corn. You've got green beans. You've got peas. Anna doesn't like the peas. Owen doesn't like the carrots. So you got to kind of pick them out of each one. Okay, so I'll take, I'll take Anna's. And on that note, thank you all for pretending we were a football for the past hour. You guys can find other shows like this on the Hornscast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform out there. Thank y'all for listening, and we'll see y'all next week. Hook them. Hook them. So I take Anna's carrots. No, I take Owen's carrots, and I give them to Anna. I take uh, Anna's peas and give them to Owen, and it ends up being pretty good. A lot of work, but I think it's worth it. And then I can slice the apples up real nice and thin. They're like the thin slices. And then when you kind of go through that, you end up having what they like the Braeburn apples. So with the Braeburn apples, it's a little sweet, kind of sour, depending on what you're looking for. But it ends up being pretty.